ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Borei Pri Hagahafen Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ba'eli Madonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Nora Tehilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va'et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtacha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
mystery behind the veil Lord over heaven and earth gotta be his fire come with your wisdom and power clothed in your honor and strength Lord hear the cry of our hearts Oh, conquering King, and every eye will see your glory fill the sky. Adonai, Adonai, and every knee will bow to you, Lord. Most high, Adonai, Adonai, you alone are God. Jerusalem waits and praises lifted on high. Hear the beautiful gates long to see you arise. When all Zion sings, Maruka
are Lord over all the earth. Keep me to your Peace be unto all of you on our Arab Shabbat broadcast uh, this week here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, our portion for this week, the Torah portion, is entitled Balak. It's a story about a particular Moabite king. Uh, as the children of Israel had traveled, were getting ready to go into the Promised Land, they had, instead of going up the close ridge of the Valley of Erevah, they had gone inland quite a bit into those lands that we call Jordan today, and we're starting to make their way back toward the Jordan River, toward the Promised Land. Well, while they were over there, they had run into the Amorites, and uh, they came out to battle Israel, and Israel wiped them out. So the reputation of Israel at this point is kind of stunning. And here's Moab, and he knows they generally want it where they want to go, and he realizes that he's kind of in the way, uh, that if they don't find a way to get through him, he's in the way. And so he's very fearful about having to deal with the children of Israel as they're making their journey. And the story goes that he is looking for allies. He's looking for all the help he can to muster up. Uh, to be able to deal with these um, uh, very scary uh, Israelites. And so the story goes about how he contacts, sends representatives to go get a, a religious man, a spiritual man that is known in those days, and his name is Balaam, Baalam. And he is regarded as being a, a prophet of God, that he's considered to be a holy man. And in that part of the world, there were different people that weren't always Israelites that believed in the God of Israel and believed in the Almighty God, and they were well-known. And so Balak wants to hire him to come and do his religious spiritual thing and curse Israel so that he, if he's going to have battle with Israel, he'll be successful. Well, if you know the story, um, the... Um, uh, Balaam at first says he doesn't want to come, that he's not for sale. You know, I only speak the word that God gives to me and so forth. Well, Balak keeps offering more. And finally, uh, Balaam decides, well, I'll go check it out. You know, all I have to do is just go check it out. So he, he makes the journey, and there is this interesting event in which he's riding on his donkey, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord trying to block him from going there, and he ends up beating the donkey three times, you know, the, the old story of three events. And, um, uh, and the whole uh, business is that God then warns Balaam, 
You only speak what I tell you to speak. So Balaam shows up, and he arrives. And so Balak has got him, and he says, okay, what do you need? I want you to go and curse, and I'll take you to a place on a mount. You know, you can see them over there and so forth. Uh, and the first time that he goes up there, he sets up these altars, puts sacrifices on, and so forth, and he's asking for God to speak through him. Well, Balak wants a curse on Israel, but when Balaam gets up, <laughs> he speaks this incredible blessing. Uh, how goodly are your tents, O Jacob? That, that phrase is used in almost all synagogue services. It's considered to be one of the greatest blessings on Israel because it came from the mouth of our enemy. Now, it's one thing to get a blessing from somebody who loves you. It's a whole other thing to get a blessing from a guy that hates you. And they use that blessing. It's a very high-ranking blessing. How goodly are your tents, so Jacob. Um, well, Balak sees that, hey, you didn't curse him. You blessed him. And so he offers again. And they go out and attempt to do another one, and, and, and Balaam speaks another blessing. So finally they do it the third time, goes out, pays him again, and again, a blessing. He speaks three blessings on That's about the time that Balak said, I'm firing you. You know, you're, you're not doing me any good whatsoever. And so you have this interesting story. Now, it turns out there's a part of the story about Balaam that we only learn about later on. Balaam then has a conversation with the Midianite kings and with Balak that's in that area that are concerned about Israel. And he says, really, if you really want to curse Israel, you, it's not for me. What you need to do is you need to send your sons and daughters down to intermingle with their sons and daughters, invite them to your festivals, and basically compromise the young people so they won't listen to the teaching of Moses anymore. Does that sound like a successful spiritual strategy to destroy God's people? Yes, it is. And oh, by the way, it's been going on for a long time. Well, as the story goes, and this is in the next portion we're going to hear about, uh, they follow the counsel of Balaam uh, for that. Uh, when we get to the portion on Phineas, we'll hear the rest of the story with regard to it. So that's our, our basic Torah portion uh, about Balak, the destroyer. And so what in the world would God have set up for us with regard to the Haftor portion? What, what sort of parallel passage would he have for us? Well, let's go to Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. And in the prophet Micah, we're going to have the Haftor portion that goes with this. Let me read to you from chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Let me read some of the words to you. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, as the dew from the Lord, as showers upon the grass. They are not looked for uh, from man, nor awaited on the hands of the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples as a lion among the beasts of the forest and as young lions among the flocks uh, of the sheep, who, if they goes through, treadeth down and treadeth in pieces, careth in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Now, it is a beautiful expression about... Um, 
the tents of Jacob. Um, how goodly are your tents, O Jacob? What did they see? They saw a mighty and fearsome group of people, like a lion to the other nations, like a lion that could go through their flocks, that could go tear, tear them apart. And so Micah has these words here that describe this observation of Israel, of the descendants, the remnant of Jacob, and, and what they are projecting, what they are having. Now, this is a rather interesting thing that we've got here. We know the story of Balak was a real historical event. We know when the prophets speak, they don't just speak flowery things to just add to the wallpaper of something that's already taken place. They actually are projecting and telling you something about the future. They're telling you some truths of it. So what is Micah telling us? Because he's not, I know that Haftor-wise, we've, we've paralleled it to the Torah portion, but he's, he's not prophesying about Balaam here. Well, in a strange sort of way, he kind of is, but I'll, 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 let me stick with my first statement. He is talking about observing the remnant of Jacob scattered in all the nations of the world. Not out in the wilderness plain where they could go up and they could see him from the Midianite and Moabite lands. That, so the remnant of Jacob is scattered in all the nations, and there's going to be an observation made about them that's a little bit like when Balaam went to curse where God describes what he's seeing of the remnant of Jacob in the nations. And it's pretty dramatic. Um, he says they don't look to the, 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 the affairs of men don't affect them. Uh, wherever they're at. Well, if you're scattered amongst the nations, wouldn't you be, have the affairs of men affect you? But he says, no. They're not, they're not going to give attention to what men say. And then it goes on further to say this, as a lion among the beasts of the horse, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep. I always, um, when I teach this passage, I always use this illustration. Let me see if I can share it with you again so you get the essence of what he just said there. Let's say that we are um, in the assembly. We, we take wherever you're at. You know, you're with your congregation, your fellowship, and you got, you know, maybe you got, let's say you got 30, 30 people, and you're sitting there, and you're all enjoying the Sabbath, the Torah portion's being taught, and all of a sudden at the back door, coming into, walking in, is this big African male lion. And he just walks into the room. What, what do you think the initial reaction in the room would be? Well, let me go ahead and tell you what I think it would be. Utter fright. I mean, you'd be looking for where's the next exit? How do I get out of here? Obviously, I'm not going to go over and push the lion out. I'm not going to go fight the lion. I need to escape. I need to get out of that situation. Um, the, uh, th this uh, particular passage, it reminds me of some things the Lord has taught me in the past, 
things that are incidents of my life. I'm a young sailor. I'm stationed up in the northwest part of the country, up near the Seattle, Tacoma, Bremerton, Puget Sound, that area up in there. I'm on ship. And uh, it's the weekend, and I and a buddy, uh, we decided to do the sailor thing and be tourists, and we're dressed up in our uh, dress whites, you know, our Dixie cups on and, you know, and so forth. And we decided to go to the Tacoma Zoo. You know, that's a fun thing to do, you know. Middle of the day, let's go to the zoo, you know. So we go to the zoo, and there's families running around. I remember there's mothers with little strollers and little kids and dads. You know, there's all the people visiting the zoo. And and we come up on this walkway, and all of a sudden, down at the end of the walkway, we see this this big display. And what they have is they have a, um, a kind of a moat thing and then fencing. And up on top in this almost like a cave structure, they've got this family of lions. There's a daddy lion laying down, a mama lion, and a couple of cubs bouncing up and down. I mean, this is like a Kodak moment. And so we walk down there uh, toward we're standing from, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 feet away from where they're at. And we're admiring this lion and, and so forth. And there's mothers there with little kids in the strollers and little kids, you know, and so forth. And all of a sudden, the the daddy lion, the big one, he um, kind of stretches and he gets up on his feet. And he's looking around. And then he proceeds to give one of those Metro-Golden-Mayer lion roars. You know. Which, by the way, as I understand it, can be heard five miles away. It was an extremely loud sound. And it all of a sudden, the very presence of this lion hit me. And the sound that he produced, the roar that he produced, I will tell you instantly, I, my body was shaking. I was trembling. My eyes got watered up because I'm tearing with such fright. Now, the other people that are around there, mothers are panicking, picking their kids up, trying to get away from that. I mean, everybody's fleeing away. We two sailors, we're kind of standing there, still kind of staring at it. But, and the reason why we're not running away is because it would look like we're cowards. And besides that, I'm not sure I could run very good. Uh, it, it was a moment that I have never forgotten. Whenever I hear anything in the scripture about a lion roaring, boy, it takes me back to that moment. You know, that's a real thing, you know, that the, the scripture will talk about. Now, the reason I mention that, because this verse, we've got about the remnant of Jacob scattered in, in uh, what God's going to do with him. That is how powerful, are you ready for this? We are going to be. Because let me tell you what this prophecy is really about. It's talking about when all of Israel is scattered in the nations at the end of the ages. That's us right now. We are scattered in the nations. Well, for me, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma at the moment. You are wherever you're at. God, you know, Balaam looked upon the tents of Jacob and made the blessings he made. God is looking upon us at this moment prior to the end of the ages, and he's seeing us for who, who and what we really are. The remnant of Jacob that belongs to him 
is not subject to the things of men anymore. We are subject only to the Lord. And as far as others that are around us, we're like young lions walking through flocks of sheep. I've never seen a flock of sheep ever rally up and defeat a lion. It just isn't going to happen. And it, it talks about the power and the authority of the remnant of Jacob in the last days, in particular during the time of the Great Tribulation. Now, most people, when they hear about the subject of the Great Tribulation, they think, oh, woe is us. That's going to be terrible. You know, how are we going to survive it and so forth? You don't have the right perspective of the way God sees things. God sees us as a powerful entity moving about amongst the peoples of the world. We belong to him. He's protecting us. And, oh, by the way, there is, um, uh, there's a group of folks in the midst of us that have already been sealed, 144,000, and their, their prophecy is a part of this as well. Now, we know the 144,000 is definitely in the Great Tribulation. This is a parallel passage out of Micah that ties into that. So when he makes this observation about the remnant of Jacob in those days, he sees this as a powerful force. Uh, let me read a little bit further for you as to what he said. This is begin at verse 8. Um, he says, uh, Let the hands be lifted up ab uh, above thine adversaries, and let all thy enemies be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off the horses out of the midst of thee, and will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy hand, and will throw down all the strongholds, and I will cut off witchcraft out of thy hand, and that shall have no more soothsayers, and I will cut off thy graven images and pillars out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thy hands, and I will pluck up thy asherim in the, from the midst of thee, and I will destroy thine enemies. I will execute, execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the nations because they have not hearkened to me. The remnant of Jacob in the Great Tribulation is going to have all the elements of the world that are still attached to us removed. We're going to be the real people that God wants us to be. Revelation talks about donning robes of righteousness at the conclusion. Uh, uh, the dross being removed from the silver, being purified. And purification goes through fire. Well, they're referring to the great tribulation as going to be a purifying element for the tribulation saints. And when it's said and done, and the question is really posed in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the day of the Lord, who is able to stand in the day of the wrath of the Lamb? And the answer is immediately given in the next chapter, and it says the 144,000 and the tribulation saints, they're the ones that are able to stand in the day of the wrath of the Lamb. So when the great tribulation comes and the wrath of the land comes at the day of the Lord, it's not on us. It's on all the nations that are around us. And we belong to the Lord. So how does he see us? As young lions, lions standing in the midst of flocks of sheep? Now that's a dramatic contrast uh, that explains uh, how powerfully 
we are before the Lord. Again, going back to our Torah portion, and why is this selected to be with it? Israel, for whatever they thought about themselves as being ill-prepared or incapable or whatever the case may be, before they're getting ready to go in the promised land and deal with the the Moabites, the Midianites, and, and the whole bit going into the promised land, when, when Balaam shows up to curse Israel, he doesn't see them as a weak people. He sees them as a powerful force with God's blessings on him. He has no choice but to issue his own blessing on him. Balak, of course, doesn't want them blessed. He wants them cursed. And he's not getting it. God is the one who gives the strength and power to his people. And not only did he do it in the day that Moses and the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness um, and, and uh, on their way to the promised land, but the same thing is going to be true of us at the end of the ages in the great tribulation. You know, I, I, I see a lot of believers when they think about this whole dynamic about us escaping and going into the camps and into the wilderness of the peoples uh, to avoid harm and danger during the Great Tribulation, and they go, woe is us, how, how are we going to make it? And the only thing they can think of is how much food can they carry, how many guns can they get, you know, and, and all of their equipment. And they fail to understand God is looking over the top of us and he says, I see you as young lions. I see you as lions. You're going to prevail over this thing. That, to me, is a very encouraging message. And that is what we get from Balaam's blessings, a very encouraging word. As I mentioned to you, the words that he uses are used in a synagogue service every Sabbath. And for the Hoftoah portion, Again, God is speaking in a very powerful way, but now he's definitely talking about the remnant of Jacob in the last days scattered in all the nations of the world. That's us. Those are very powerful and encouraging words for us. So that's the reason why our Haftor portion comes from Micah to parallel with the blessings that was spoken by Balaam. That's our portion for this week. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. Hold your finger at chapter 2, where our Brett Hadashah portion uh, will be for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time once again to dig into your word. Father, I pray that uh, this instruction uh, would teach us, would warn us of things that we are to be mindful of, to watch out for. And Father, I pray that your word would just uh, come forth, come alive this week um, now in this teaching. And we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us here in this place, in this ministry. And now this time of teaching, we turn it over to you. We love you, bless you, and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is Balak, which is the name of the king of Moab. And uh, as we've studied the Torah portion and some of the specific things that happened uh, in this, um, there is a great lesson to be learned uh, through these interactions of not only Balak, the king of Moab, but Balaam, the prophet for hire that uh, Balak hires to come and to curse Israel because Israel had become such an exceedingly great uh, king. 
kingdom wandering in the wilderness for these 40 years. It's obviously an interesting portion that it takes kind of a detour from the interactions of the children of Israel. What are they doing? What are the kingdoms they're conquering? And what's going on in the camp of the Israelites? And we now focus, of course, on this other king, this other uh, kingdom that was sitting there. And what did they observe when they saw the children of Israel? Now, of course, um, they were greatly afraid of the children of Israel. And as opposed to being afraid as in being in awe of the God that is in the midst of Israel... They instead decide to go to war with Israel. Now, knowing that there's a God in Israel, the, Moab the uh, Moabites know they cannot fight a battle against a God that is surely in the midst of Israel. So they're obviously wise to know that this is not a physical battle they can win, but a spiritual battle that they must win. So instead of going to war physically, they decide to go to war spiritually. So they hire Balaam, this man, this prophet, this, um, you know, this guy that was apparently famous famous or well enough known throughout the land, the kingdom, as being a prophet, as being a man who speaks to God or speaks to other gods or just has this, this renowned personality that it's like, you know, you come in, you're going to hire this guy. He's going to curse the children of Israel so that then the Moabites can go to war. Now, the Lord speaks to this man, Balaam. It's fascinating that, you know, even though this man clearly in the Scripture um, is, is a prophet for hire, is a man that does evil things, um, and he has, there's several references in the New Testament about him, none of them being positive, of course. Even though in the course of our instruction um, for the Torah portion this week um, that begins in Numbers chapter 22, um, the Lord still uses this man instead of cursing Israel. He blesses Israel. And the Lord uses even the words of the enemies of Israel and, and the power that a speech or a vow has to pour out a blessing upon the people of, of Israel and the people of God. And it's very fascinating when you read this Torah portion, of course, and it kind of looks like, you know what, the Lord is using Balaam, and now he does have to get his attention. He's got to make his donkey talk to him to uh, kind of, you know, get his attention on this whole idea that he's going to go curse the people of God, which God says you're not going to do. And he's like, yeah, but can I go because there's some money in it for me? And the Lord says, well, you're only going to say what I allow you to say. And he's like, okay, well, maybe I'll get the money and still be on the right, uh, right side of the Lord. Well, of course, you know, it's the, when he gets there, he starts blessing the children of Israel. Balak doesn't like that. And there's several orations that take place. And when it's all said and done, there are these incredible blessings that come upon Israel. But what has to always be stated is that that isn't where Balaam stopped. That was not the last thing that Balaam did or Balaam said, because we find out later in the scripture, especially going into next week's portion, that what happens to the children of Israel is that there is a great deal of sin that is brought upon the camp of Israel because the daughters of the Midianites go and fraternize with the sons of Israel. And the conclusion is this, of course, it's not that God will ever curse his people or curse the children of Israel. But what can be done to them is that you send a temptation in front of them and they can curse themselves. They can defile themselves so that the blessing and the provision of God is not upon them. And that's, of course, then allows for judgment to come to Israel and many sons of Israel to die in that process. And we know through the scripture that that counsel came from Balaam. 
So even though the, he, the Lord used him to bless the children of Israel, the counsel of Balaam, the teaching of Balaam, the idea of him being out for the money, for the profit, to be a deceiver, to be those that would, do, that would cause harm to God's people, Balaam is not well received in any other times in Scripture in which he is mentioned. We have several traditional readings here for our uh, New Testament reading. There's a couple of verses specifically. Uh, the book of Jude, which, we, which I taught the entire book of Jude in our Brit Hadashah portion for Korah, mainly because of the warning that the book of Jude is to us about those that might come into our assemblies and actually would be in it for themselves and would actually be uh, spots and blemishes and, and, and people that are not meant to be in the congregation and the people of God. Now, we're going to talk about that same subject specifically here in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's very clear that the book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2, um, there's some very similar things things that are said in both passages. It's, it's very well understood. Um, I, I didn't take the time to look up exactly which one might have been written uh, beforehand, but it's very clear that uh, this, uh, the information that's being shared here was clearly uh, heard by the other or conversed with one another between Jude and Peter here. Um, and so some of that same information is here. So we're going to spend most of our time here in 2 Peter chapter 2 um, and go through this verse by verse as to what we can learn. And again, this warning to watch out for those who are among us, false doctrines false teachers, which is, of course, what Balaam is. There's also another reference uh, in Revelation chapter 2 uh, in one of the judgments of one of the churches. It talks about how one of them is following the teaching of Balaam to follow to fall into sexual immorality and to give in to false doctrines. And so uh, Revelation 2 verses 14 and 15 is also a traditional reading that mentions Balaam, of course, which connects to our Torah portion. But for the sake of teaching for this week, let us go to 2 Peter 2. And let's read about the warnings that are coming to us from uh, Simon Peter, the bondservant of the Messiah, in what he is teaching and what he is sharing. Beginning at verse 1, it says this, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring, and bring of themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, uh, they will exploit you, with deceptive words, for a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. This is beginning this entire topic of, of the type of uh, destructive heresies and teachings that can come from men. Men that have the potential to teach good, to teach the Word of God. Think about this about Balaam. Balaam actually heard the voice of God. How many people can say they've heard the voice of God? Some teachers and people say they have audibly heard the voice of God. And that's an amazing blessing when you've heard that and you get this sense that God is speaking to you or saying something that is important to you. Then other people, even great teachers, then might even say they've never audibly heard the voice of God, yet they read into the Word and they absolutely are holy men of God who believe they're doing God's work and they're great teachers and great worshipers and, and these things, yet they've done so without audibly hearing the voice of God. Either way, you know, you, you might think God can use us in all manner of ways, but if the Lord actually speaks to you, 
What an amazing blessing that is. What an honor that it is. It might also be that the Lord speaks to people that truly need to hear His voice before they believe. So you might look at it the other way and say, wow, I audibly heard the voice of God. Oh, gee, maybe He was trying to get my attention and I wasn't paying attention with many other ways and I literally had to be called out by God before I would listen. So, yeah, you could look at it two different ways. One is that you needed to hear the voice of God because you were struggling to see the signs before. But at the same time, it, it does show and prove God's desire to communicate with you. So in the case of Balaam, Balaam could have been a great man. He could have been a man after the heart of God and could have turned, he could have converted. He could have said to Balak and be like, no, I'm not going to curse these people. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go join them because surely there's a God in the midst of Israel. Their God has spoken to me and I'm going to go and worship that God, the one true God, the one that made my donkey talk to me, and that's who I'm going to follow. And he could have converted. He could have been adopted in and he could have been a great man of God, a great prophet of God. He could have been, but he wasn't. And that's the thing when it comes to teachers, destructive doctrines and things. In any case, if anybody has a position in which they could speak into the lives of people, they've been given this honor and this ability and this uh, this, um, position to speak, this pedestal to speak from. And then if they were to use it for heresies, false doctrines, for their own benefit, God does not look kindly upon that at all. In fact, the judgment comes upon Balaam. And that is when we've, I've talked several times before from this pulpit that when those that are committed to ministry, committed to teaching, they are held to a higher standard. And so that's exactly what we need to pay attention to, that we, when we are teaching, we must be sure we're teaching the Word of God, what the Lord laid on our heart to say, not our own ideas, not our own preconceived notions, not our own opinions and agendas that we want to see done. But no, what you hear is you instead hear the Word of God from the hearts of the people who have a heart to serve the Lord, and that it's the Spirit that is speaking through. Not that it's, it's the, the thoughts of man, but it's no, it's, it's from the Spirit of God that the words flow from that person so that they might be heard by the audience that is before them. This is right before we go into uh, 2 Peter 2. I, I, I didn't read this as sort of a precursor because it does start positively. And what is being talked about here is talking about prophecy. Let me actually go back a verse from where I started to 2 Peter 1. Let's go to verse 20. It says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That is where prophecy, that's where the Word of God comes from. I said a couple of weeks, I was uh, teaching on one of these Brit Hadashah portions um, back in 1 Corinthians when Paul lays out what prophecy is. The biblical definition of prophecy is teaching the Word of God. It's not predicting the future. It's not holy fortune telling. It's not um, any of those things. It is teaching the Word of God, and it's usually from somebody who has their ears tuned to hear that Word, and then that is what they speak. That is what they share, and it's for the edification of the body. It's for exhortation. It's to, it's to stir the hearts of men to follow after God and to act and to listen, and that's what true prophecy is, and that prophecy does not come from men and their will to, if, they, if it does, then that's manipulation. That's somebody who, that, that's witchcraft. That's a, that's a man of worldly intent who's trying to mislead the people and make them do something. 
But if it's the Word of God, if it's the Holy Spirit that's moving in the hearts of holy men, then that is what true prophecy is and that this is what we're talking about. So now going into 2 Peter, obviously it shifts. It says, but be wary of these men because sometimes it's hard to discern. Sometimes it's hard to tell if that, if somebody is operating in the Holy Spirit or if somebody is operating in their own will. Because both can be sensational in their speech, because both can be compelling and convincing in their arguments and in their words and in their oration and, and how they deliver the message. And we have to pray that the Lord would give us a sound mind to understand and a discerning heart to know which is which. That's what, I cannot give the counsel anymore. It's, it might be really simple, and some people might question, you know, because we get questions all the time. It's like about certain teachers or YouTube videos or anything like this to where they're like, they're like hey, have you heard this uh, one guy, this one teaching? Or, well, what do you think about that? What do you think about this teacher or that teacher? And really the simplest answer, sometimes you go and you watch something and you're like, oh, that, oh that's interesting, it's compelling, and it's... And then you question, you're like, okay, well, what, what are they saying is true? What's, is there an agenda here? Any of these things? And ultimately, the best answer that I can ever give to anybody else about this, about if you have that question or if you're listening to a teacher, the best answer you can ever give is to not just say, oh, no, that per- oh, don't, don't go listening to that person at all. No, it's like, I, I don't say that. And other people, you know, you should actually be warned if that's the counsel you get. Because then that person, are they trying to control you? Are they trying to make sure you're not listening to any other teachers or just listening to them or taking their counsel only? You got to be careful about that. No, the best counsel you can give, that I can give at any point in time, what's the Spirit tell you? What is the, what is the, the stirring in your heart? Listen to that. Listen to that still, small voice inside that is telling you, as you're hearing what they're saying, as you, as you sense the spirit of the person, look into their eyes. Look at the, 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 the shape that their, their face is making and the, and the reactions or, the, or how they respond to questions or how they sort of interact. And I'll tell you what, man, that spirit will tell you and will give you that you know, you call it red flags. If you, it's like, man, I got kind of a red flag about that person. It's like, I heard this one thing and I don't know. Or you get that, just that little check and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. That's the way the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit inside of you is inside of you, it will move you in that way. It will give you that check in your gut that says, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Now, if I don't agree with that about that person, what else do I, you know what? I don't know if I am being fed or if I'm being edified by this person's word. They certainly look like they're prophesying. They look like they're a teacher of God. But I don't know if I'm getting edified truly by this word. Or you find out something about the person maybe after they say Sometimes they say something that's, that's wonderful or sensa- a, 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 a great blessing to hear. The words of Balaam were fantastic to the, the blessings. That, but then you find out later that mm, there was other motivations behind there. There was something else. It's like, mm, okay, so this is where I've led to my conclusion in, in certain matters is that if, if there is a message that is from God, a word that he has to share, and he might use a prophet to speak that word, that message is blessed. That message is anointed. Sometimes God uses a sinner, uses an unclean vessel to deliver his word. His message. Even the testimony of sinners can be a benefit to the followers of God. And so what what I've said several times before is this. The message is anointed. The messenger might not be. 
You might have heard a message from somebody and said, man, that teacher is anointed, man. Everything that's coming out of his mouth is great. What happens when he falls from grace? What happens when you find out some sin about that person or, you know, something happens and, and suddenly you can't trust that guy anymore? Well, what about every message he ever shared or ever spoke before? Does all of that get thrown out the window when this one servant or this, this person falls? It's like, no, it, w- that word might have saved somebody's life. And that is a blessing. That is good. You, you, you can bank on that. So does that mean you turn back and say, oh, well, then I'm just going to ignore that person's sin. And oh, he's a good man because that's what he said. It's all like, no, that person is sin. There's, there's plenty of evidence against them. He's a sinner. It's clear he's a sinner. So then how do we divide these two things? Well, you divide it very simply. The message was anointed when it was of God. But the vessel, which might have been clean when the message was given, has become unclean and is in need of breaking. That's what happens in the Scripture. In fact, back in Leviticus, there was uh, whole passages about how if a vessel becomes unclean, if an earthen vessel, if it becomes unclean, there's certain ones that you could wash, but other ones it has to be broken if it becomes unclean. That doesn't change the fact that it was once clean and the water it carried was clean. We are the same way. He is the potter. We are the clay. He's made us into vessels that can carry His message and His Word and His life-giving water to share with others. That doesn't change the fact that the vessel could become unclean at some point in time and be in need to be broken. That's what happens when a great teacher sins. But what they shared before, that doesn't mean that the water that is no longer in their vessel that they poured out for someone else doesn't mean that water becomes unclean. This is how the, the nature of how God uses people, even people that are sinners, even people that have made mistakes or people that will, mista- be, will make mistakes in the future to still teach His Word, to still teach His instruction. But ultimately, you know, sometimes you get that read or that sense that something's going on because of that check in your gut, the check in your spirit. So there's sometimes that some, you know, teacher might fall from grace and then some people are like, I knew it. I knew in my heart there was something wrong. I, I, I just felt it that there was, a, there was an issue there. That's sometimes the spirit. Now, can we always operate off of the spirit? Unfortunately, no. It's one evidence. It's one piece of evidence inside your heart that then when you hear a confirming evidence, well, then that's when you're like, you know what? I, I, I knew that as a sense. So can we establish truth from that check in your spirit? No. But that check in your spirit, along with perhaps a check in somebody else's spirit, perhaps some, some combination of physical evidence in addition to that, can sometimes establish a truth that you can believe, and then you can share that with others. You can, you can give that sense. Now, some people might question your check in your spirit if they don't have that same check, and they might need more evidence than perhaps just your statement. But overall... That spirit moves inside the hearts of some people, and that is sometimes as good of a litmus test as you can possibly have when you're wondering about false doctrines, false teachers, and those that might be among us that are wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's continue on reading here in 2 Peter. And uh, as he continues to, to describe, we're all still on the same subject, of course, but let's bring out some of these more details of what's being said here. Verse 2 of 2 Peter 2, it says this, sorry, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, But saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. The people who would make a judgment, who would condemn somebody else, who, who, who would speak of these things. We're, we're starting to talk about some of the nature of them. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to eat, speak evil of dignitaries. Dignitaries being angelic majesties, those that are in, in authority, and that there are some men walking who have the, who have the gumption and the chutzpah to speak out against the things of God, the power of God, and what God can do. And right there at the very end, there in verse 11, it says, Even angels who are greater and mightier than man, they don't even speak to the Lord in that way or speak of the things of the Lord or question, bring those accusations. This is how presumptuous and how full of themselves some of these men think. Now, all before that, what it's talking about is that God has the ability to decipher these things. It's showing that He was able to save Noah, one of eight people. When the flood came, it took upon the entire world. The Lord knows how to deliver Lot, those that He was righteous, in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, one that was, that was pained and in anguish every time He saw all of the lawless deeds that were going on there, and that God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, but He also knows how to punish those who are in need of punishment. This is one of those things where it's a little encouraging to, you know, it's like we all need to make sure we're taking care of numero uno here. We might find ourselves in a fellowship or in a congregation among other brethren, and we might find ourselves in and around people that we get that check in our spirit about. Those that, you know, might be among us, those that might be uh, uh, in our fellowships, in our congregations that are... um, They've snuck in. They're the spots in our feasts. They are the ones that we're talking about here and about in the book of Jude. And we're in and among them. And now one of the fears is that, you know, if if we get too caught up in their sin and their mistakes, is God going to pour out His judgment upon all of us? All of us because of that one person? Well, yeah, it's, it's possible because of the sin of the, the, sometimes a little leaven leavens the whole lot, and a, and a little bit of sin in a fellowship can destroy the entire fellowship. They can sink the entire ship by somebody being in there. On one hand, that's a fear, and that's, a, that's something for us to learn about removing those people separating ourselves from the sinners uh, among us, that those that should not be in our fellowships and in our congregations. At the same time, there is a confidence that we can keep in the back of our mind as well, that if truly we are taking care of our own issues, giving our own account to the Lord, of our own, following Him in our own ways, in, in obedience, that the Lord knows how to deliver the, the righteous 
uh, right alongside judging the ones that are lawless, that have committed sins and terrible things. As Lot was delivered out of Sodom and Gomorrah, as Moses was, or uh, Noah was delivered out of the flood. The only thing is this, is that when those things happened, there was a great deal amount of stress. The other thing, too, is there was not very many, there was not a very good ratio of who the Lord saved from those situations. Eight people out of the whole world. Three people, Lot and his two daughters, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. The ratio is not great. We, we, we should maybe take heed of the warning instead of relying on the fact it's like, oh, no, I'm good, I'm, I'm just. If, if the whole congregation is judged, I'll be the one that's spared. Are you sure? Ratio is not good. That's like winning the lottery. That's like a scratch-off ticket if you're going to be the one that God's going to save in that situation. Instead, let's learn from these warnings. Let's keep our eyes open for these types of people that are among our fellowships. And perhaps instead of, uh, in, instead of not having any hesitation of any judgment coming upon everything that's in front of you, why don't you look around and try to be with, if you, even if you feel confident that the Lord's going to save you, why don't you go and share that love and make sure others might be caught up with you, might be saved. And so in the, in, for the sake of others and not wanting innocent people to be judged and be caught up in that judgment, instead, let's look for those spots among us and let's call out the sin when we see it. Let's call a spade a spade when it needs to be addressed. Verse 12 continues on. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things that they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of the unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. These are the people that are among us. Eyes full of adultery. They can't cease from sin. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. These are the people, these are the sinners that are masters of their craft, of how they sin, how they commit these sins amongst the, uh, amongst the brethren. And what they're meant to do, or what they're meant to be, and I said the very first word I read in that section, was that they're meant like brute beasts. They're meant to be caught and destroyed. If you ever uh, see a poisonous spider in your house, do you, um, you just let it linger around? My, we got brown recluses in, in here in the Midwest quite a bit, and I, they pop up in my house every once in a while. We're just going to let that one just sort of slide and stick around? No, that's meant to be killed. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and remove it when we get the chance. Um, you know, it's hard to kill them all. Can't, they're hidden in the walls. You can't really treat for them. But, you know, ultimately, if they do reveal themselves, you, you step on that sucker and you make sure that one of your children doesn't get bit by a brown recluse or a snake that you find in the grass in your garden or something like that. Do you leave that there? 
you know, now, now sometimes in, in certain conservation uh, practices, yeah, you go, you, you, you might want to move something from where it is and move it to someplace where it can be safer and continue to live its life. But ultimately, if you're in neighborhoods, suburbs, and you see a rattlesnake in your, uh, in, in your garden there, um, any father, anybody doing the right thing in that situation, you're not near the country or anything like that, or you got a copperhead or something like that here in the Midwest, no, you grab the hoe, you grab the shovel, or you grab a gun and you kill that sucker. You get rid of it. That, 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 that beast, the harm that can come to your children or to your pets or to anybody in that situation, you just go ahead and you end it. That's the counsel that's coming from Peter here when these people reveal themselves in the congregations. They're meant to be caught and to, to be destroyed. They speak evil of things they do not understand. See, that's the other thing, too, that you'll notice about these people when they are speaking about things. You, you, will, you will sense the, the extra attitude, the extra contempt that you hear from them in the, in the sound of their voice, in the, in the way that they speak, in the way that they orate. And, it's like, and, and sometimes they'll be talking about something, and they, instead of speaking to the issues, speaking to the facts... They just, you know, make blanket statements or saying, all oh, those people, uh, yeah, they're not, they're, they don't deserve to be here. Or they don't, tr- you guys don't understand. Or I understand what this, what's going on here. And, and it's like, well, well, what about this right here? It's like, oh, well, that's too complicated for you or, or anything like that. That's sort of like the, that's the tone or that's the sound that sometimes these people might use. So because somebody who speaks of things that they do understand well, they can converse and they can dialogue and there can be healthy debates in the congregations when there's somebody that's sitting there and they're arguing a, a point or something. But, they, but if they know what they're talking about, then there can be a healthy exchange of ideas. This is one of the things in the political landscape of the world today is that, you know, you have a lot of people that just slough off and blow off the issues that are at hand just they call the other they call the other party a racist or they they paint them in a corner they use logical fallacies left and right and they don't speak to the issues you know why a lot of times they don't understand the issues they truly don't know them they don't they haven't studied the facts they haven't weighed you know evidences and numbers and figures because when you do sometimes you might see those figures and be like oh you know i might need to change my stance that this this is this is counter to what i believe but now that i understand this i can adjust my beliefs or adjust the next thing that i say if you are understanding the the debate that's at hand then you are somebody who is willing to learn willing to, willing to yield in an argument and one who can convey ideas even if your ideas are different than another person's ideas if you can peacefully uh, speak to somebody and show that you have done your research and even this person they've done their research too and you have this discussion knowledge is built <clears throat> excuse me and information can be exchanged and there can be this is great dialogue amongst the fellowship but if somebody's walking in and they just want to be argumentative they just want they just want to tell somebody they're wrong but they don't understand the facts. They don't understand what's being talked about here. It's another example of something that you might see. It's, a, it's another one of those hints, evidences of, well, man, that person has no idea what he's talking about. Why is he here? What is his motivation? Didn't he listen to what preacher said? What he just said here in fellowship sounds like he, did, he wasn't listening. Or he didn't hear the part about loving your neighbor or or. or, or uh, anything like that because he's just, he's just wanting to pick a fight. These are, again, more of those evidences of these types of people that might be among us. 
They've gone astray. They don't listen to the words of, of the, the congregation or the teacher or the leader or the Word of God anymore. Instead, they're doing their own thing, operating in their own way, in their, in their own unrighteous ways. Sometimes these people are even elders among us. These people are sometimes the teachers that are among us. The leaders of the whole congregation can all fall into this same category. We have to have a sound mind and sound judgment to see and recognize them when they're around. Verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure those, the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who actually escape from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, then having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But if it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. This is, uh, this is continuing to, to, to lay out the, the depravity of these people because it speaks now to the fact that they have the knowledge of what is right. It's one thing for somebody to do something wrong and they just don't know. They're just ignorant. They've never been taught. They've never been taught right and wrong. They've never been taught the commandments of God. And then they err. Then they, 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 they think their own will. That, that's one thing. But then when they have known the knowledge of Yeshua the Messiah, they have heard the holy commandment that's been delivered to them, yet they turn away. It's, it would it'd be better for them to have never known the way of righteousness. And then they do that mistake. But because they have... Ignorance cannot be claimed at that point in time. That is why these people have, because then you can see the intent of their heart. When they even know better, yet they still do these things. It talks about their words, emptiness, allure of lust to the flesh through lewdness. That's how, sometimes how they mislead people. They mislead people. You know, it's funny. Uh, sometimes there's a preacher that you think is so good, but the reason why is because... They look good. They got a whole team of people that, 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 that dote them up and make up and make them look alluring so that you watch, so that when you're flipping the channels, you're like, oh, wow, look at that. And then you start to listen. And what they, what they have to say sometimes doesn't have any substance to it. But they sure do look good on stage, don't they? The lighting is just right. They, 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 they've been presented to look this certain way, and then they, they are alluring. And they promise liberty, yet they're a slave to their own corruption, their own sin. These are the things and these are the examples that we need to watch out for among us. It can, be even, it can even come from people that have said they heard the word of God. They, you, you can even have almost like a confirming witness that they've heard the word of God. That, you know, it's like, I heard the word of God and, and I want to share it with you here. And this is what the Lord told me to tell you. And you're like, wow, the Lord, like, there's no way you could have known that. So surely you did hear from the word, from the Lord. 
And you have the evidence, and they heard from the word of the Lord. Even those people have the ability to turn or to be caught up in their own corruption and their own sin and their own mistakes. Balaam heard from the Lord. The Lord was trying to get his attention. Lord is, uh, the Lord probably would have loved to have used Balaam. Any man that, is, uh, that, that, that perhaps is called a prophet or tuned to, the, to, to, to spiritual things, yeah, the Lord, Lord would love to speak to them and, and love to bring them in and have him be a prophet of God to speak the word. But if you get caught up in your own greed, get caught up in the money, get caught up in the, in the fame, the fortune, you like looking good on camera, you like rubbing elbows with people, and then suddenly your word, you start teaching things other than what the Lord told you to teach, things that the Lord didn't tell you to say, well, that's just empty words. They can sound good, especially when they're coming from a source that maybe once had a history of teaching great things. We have to be careful. We have to be discerning. Even when we once followed one person that you had great, amazing teaching and words, sometimes things can change. Sometimes their hearts can be turned away from the Lord. We have to be mindful. We have to continue to test everything that we hear. Testing it. Just because one thing was once great, you know, one person once said something great doesn't mean that everything they ever say from then on is great. Or anything they said before was great. Test every word. Let the Spirit speak through you with every word, with every teaching. You've got to separate the wheat and the chaff. What's the good part that, that, that ministers to us? What's the bad part? What's the part that, you know, we all make mistakes. As a teacher myself and listen to other teachers, I got good teachings. I got some bad teachings. Sometimes I'm my own worst critic. I get done teaching and then I'm like, man, I just don't think that came off very well. And I, and I'll, I'll, I'll accept that and, and uh, that sometimes you mess up. And you, even the greatest of teachers, the greatest of orators, which I got a long way to go to get there, um, even they will admit, you know, that it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I, I said that one part and it's like, I, I, did, I don't know if it really came off very well or I didn't feel the spirit of the Lord moving in that situation. And so like even them will sometimes be their own critic to, to, to say, you know what, that part, it wasn't that great. Or you have an old teaching that you did and you, uh, you've learned a whole lot more since then. So it's like, you know, let's get rid of that. Let's not try to keep trying to sell that teaching because it's, it's, it's not good anymore. And I'm smart enough and wise enough and humble enough to admit you know, that one, was, that one wasn't that great. So even the greatest of teachers don't listen to everything they have to say. Don't follow every word or hang on their every word. Test everything that they teach and let the Holy Spirit be that check in your spirit. When you truly do find the person that has fallen into complete false doctrines, they're a false teacher, then there's a special kind of judgment that is set for them. And we need to be mindful to keep our eyes open for those that are among us. Even if they pour out a blessing upon us one day, and then you find out they're in it for the prophet on the next day. Let us pray that the Lord would protect us from these things and that we can learn from what these great men of God are teaching us to be mindful of and in all things submit to the Holy Spirit and what He has to say to us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word, this instruction. Father, I pray that uh, you would uh, teach us to have spiritual eyes. Open our eyes and give us vision, Lord, to be mindful, to protect those who are around us. We thank you for your protection, Lord, for, for watching over us, Lord. 
And Father, I pray that everyone who has to give an account, Father, I, I pray for them. I pray for their souls. Even the ones who have done evil, who are, even the ones who have committed sin, Father. Father, I, I do believe, Lord, that um, in, in lots of cases, Lord, somebody is not too far gone that they can turn their heart back to you. That you can, you, you can change the heart of a sinner. That you can restore them back to the promises of your faith, of, of being in, amongst your people. And so, Lord, I pray for the souls of all people, even the false teachers, even the ones who have come before and, and perhaps their great sins are, are a great uh, lesson for us. It's, it, it's a teaching to us, Lord, to read about these men that have made great mistakes like Balaam, like Korah. But, Father, I pray for their souls too. You use them, Lord. And so, Father, may it be your will. You are the, the, the judge of all things, Lord. But I even pray for those that have sinned before you. And then I pray, Lord, that your, your forgiveness is everlasting, your love is enduring, and that you will uh, continue to teach your people. May we be counted amongst the faithful, Lord, that continue to follow your works, your ways, and your commandments. Father, we, uh, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We submit to you in all things. Teach us your word, teach us your ways. Lay on our hearts all of your commandments that you have spoken. We thank you for these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.